Welcome to BIV Today, the daily business news podcast for business in Vancouver newspaper and BIV.com. I'm Tyler Orton, and today we're going to speak to the weekly technology panel featuring Progressive's Ali Pordat and Glue Technology Society's Linda Focus, discussing Uber's underwhelming IPO, as well as recent calls to break up Facebook and I guess the appeal of deploying robot butlers in your own home. It'll be an interesting conversation. But before we get there, a few events to tell you about. Cannabis 2.0 event, that's May 22nd at the Shangri-La Hotel. It's going to tell you everything you need to, do, uh, need to know with regards to the B2B aspect of edibles in the cannabis industry moving forward later on this year. And today, May 14th, I'm going to be moderating an expert panel examining the phenomenon of money laundering here in British Columbia and the possible policy measures to minimize its impact. Among the expert panelists will be Peter German. He's the author of the Money Laundering Reports for the BC's Attorney General. And for more information on those events, you can go ahead and visit BIV.com slash events. Now let's go ahead and speak to the tech panel. And with us today to talk about the latest news in the technology industry, it is Progressa CEO Ali Pordat and Glue Technology Society CEO Linda Focus. Ali, Linda, thank you both for joining us on the show. Thanks for having me. Thank you. So the conversation that I think everybody is still having right now is Uber's underwhelming IPO. They debuted Friday. Shares debuted to about $42 US. They're now trading at $38. And there's maybe some comparisons to Facebook's IPO, which wasn't, you know, blockbuster at that time. But there are some distinctions here. And what is your initial reaction here, Linda, when we look at this initial public offering from Uber? Ouch. Ouch. That this is a price, um, you know, this Uber's worth what it's worth. The market's now going to dictate that. And this is not the price they wanted to see. They're a 60 something billion dollar company and they wanted to be a hundred billion dollar company. So I think it's interesting that all the hype, all the dog and pony talk isn't going to make them a company they're not. And the beautiful thing about a publicly traded company is the market speaks. The market speaks. Well, does that show maybe a distinction, Ali, between how Silicon Valley views things versus how Wall Street views things? Yeah, for sure. I mean, look, at the end of the day, uh, the market spoke. And uh, if you wrote a check on Friday, you're probably not too happy about it. But there's a lot of investors that wrote checks at, uh, at startup time. And, you know, I, I know the first investors who wrote the first $6 million into the deal pulled out, uh, you know, $3.2 billion. So that's a nice return for that for them. You I know. take it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a nice, nice return on 6 million. And the people who bought in on IPO day lost 618 million. Right. <laughs> it's the way the world works these days. In paper money, at least. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. there's been comparisons, though, with regards to, say, Facebook. And one of the decisions that's been pointed out, though, okay, so Facebook didn't have a great IPO. But the difference is it was a company that was still churning out profits of $2 billion mm-hmm. at that time. Uber's losing $3 billion a year at this time. Do you guys think that there is a path to profitability for a company offering these services at, I guess, the prices that they are? I I, I believe so. I, but they do need to make some changes to their, to their offering. You know, I think... Uh, at a minimum, they probably need to raise the prices a little bit to to the consumer. I think the average Uber ride long haul is is over half what a taxi costs. So to increase that by you know 
5% or 4% is not going to impact the consumer and it's not going to impact, it's actually going to you know positively benefit Uber uh, probably significantly based on their volume. I'd also look at alternative ways to raise uh, to raise revenue. Uh, you know, you could put uh, things like advertising in the cars, uh, and and you know, and start to sort of make uh, advertising revenue, just like Facebook and Google do. I think there's a lot of ways they can get creative and generate profit. I don't know. Is is ride sharing going to do it? Is this is are there enough drivers willing to work for less than minimum wage? Enough cars out there for them to drive around? This sounds to me like they're betting a lot on this autonomous driving world and you know if the province of bc is any indication it's going to be a long time coming before these cars are hitting our road in significant numbers to make them a profitable and and the platform that everyone's saying they're the one but you don't need bc to be a successful profitable uh business i mean you you, you can do this in china you can do this i mean there's a lot of countries that i think are going to be moving towards autonomous vehicles a lot faster than other countries but uber had to leave a couple of big countries russia for instance they had to bolt out because there was a local competition forcing them out so i'm not sure if ride sharing will get uber where they want to be in this hundred billion dollar plus uh company level uh, and maybe they take this money and invest it in other areas. Maybe I, it is the freight. Maybe yeah, it's the marketing. background logistics. Maybe I don't know. I don't yeah. disagree that yeah. uh, autonomous vehicles is the future. And I, and I think that I believe that Uber and Lyft are well positioned to take advantage of that in North America, at least. They're the dominant players in North America. Uh, and they will be at the forefront of it. Now, whether they have to execute on that through partnership or, or not will remain to be seen. But uh, you know, they both now IPO'd and raised a significant amount of money. So they are well positioned to be at the forefront of that. Yes. So it's a publicly traded company now. Should consumers be prepared for a different kind of company now that they're facing, you know, the pressures from shareholders? Yeah. I think Uber's already Absolutely. significantly changed in the last in the last year. I mean, it, even in preparing to be, become a public company, you have to mature as a business. So, you know, we haven't heard a lot of... Uh, you know, racket out of uh, out of Uber in the last uh, twelve months, and I think that's uh, you know with great purpose. But they've been selling a growth story the whole time, and now they're going to have to start talking to the market and make the Wall Street people happy with what they're saying. So it'll be interesting. Yeah, they've had a year of prep to get to this stage. This has all been growth and vision, and listen to our vision or watch our vision of the future unfold. And Wall Street might just say, okay. Guys, it's financial prediction time and we want some stability. And, and that's one of the, the main differences between Uber and Lyft, I would say, is that one is going out to the market, selling themselves more of a growth story. That would be Lyft. Uh, you know, we're trying to grow our, 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 uh, our base, whereas Uber now is looking more, I think, at growing in other ways. Uh, they've, they've sort of have, have hit critical mass and now they're looking at things like Uber Eats and, and, and other yeah. they, they're going to have to look at other ways to generate uh, substantial revenue. And if it's true, there can be only one. Um, do does Uber buy Lyft? Yep, that that could happen. I'm not sure why there has to only be one, but that's what all the analysts seem to be saying. Mm. This well, there are some countries. There's some countries that don't have Uber and Lyft, and they have very very strong rival competitors. So I think naturally, what's going to happen is Uber and Lyft will start to make those acquisitions uh, and and move into countries that they're not. Right. Uh, you know, assuming those countries let them in. Well, if we want to keep uh, on kicking the big giants, why don't we turn our attention to Facebook? Because it's been facing even more calls for it to be broken up, you know, spinning off WhatsApp and Instagram co-founder Chris Hughes. He's come out and says, look, simply the company wields too much power and influence in society right now. Is it realistic, though, to expect, Linda, that Facebook could or should 
be broken up or are there other avenues that we should be exploring with regards to what Chris Hughes is saying about just how much power and influence this one single company who is controlled by one single individual really with regards to Mark Zuckerberg's 60% voting power on the board here. So we would break up Facebook. One of the arguments is we break it up so we can create innovation in a space that basically has no innovation right now because whatever innovates in the social media space, Facebook buys them if they can or Google buys them. Um, So break it up to create innovation. Absolutely. But I think um, the problems we see with Facebook is this respect of user privacy, uh, user data, sacrificing all of that for clicks and user growth. Um, Will that be taken care of if we break them up. What are we doing? Just going back to Facebook, Instagram, and WhatsApp again? Are those are those really going to be the three social media platforms that kind of compete? So I don't know that breaking it up, A, is going to happen. I think that's a, a lovely dream. I don't think it'll happen. And B, uh, is it going to solve our problem? It, it would be very difficult to break up Facebook. Uh, it's not, that would not be an easy task. I mean, you know, you, there's not a lot of precedent either in the US on breaking up companies of that size. I mean, you'd have to go back to you know, Rockefeller probably and mm. like Imper- and Standard Oil. Because Amazon won, or sorry, uh, Microsoft won on appeal when they yeah, were. Yeah, right? for sure. So, I mean, Microsoft had to break up components of its software and certainly Facebook may have to break up components of its software if there's monopolistic uh, practices that are being seen. But there's bigger culprits than Facebook when it comes to um, monopolistic practices. Really, what we're talking about here is uh, the is the is the monopoly they have over data, and that is something that, uh, for better or worse, right now they're in control of. And you know, my, I think to fix it, you have to put regulate. You just have to put regulation. Yeah, a breaking place. up isn't going to solve no. the data problem. No, and it's we're not. not even talking about the data problem we have with Google and Amazon and others. So much bigger culprits potentially. Yeah, yeah, and they haven't necessarily been great shepherds of data and privacy at this point. No. And I, I'm wondering... And that's like, that's the concern, Tyler, right? The, the concern is that they've grown at all costs, right? At, at, at any cost, basically. And 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 you definitely politicians are not happy about it. I mean, the Democrats are starting to make this a... In the US are starting to make this a political uh, agenda item. And uh, and even I, I think even as early as this morning, I heard something a, a soundbite out of Joe Biden saying the same thing. I mean, this is somebody that's very centrist uh, on the Democratic Party. And even he's saying, you know, we should be looking at potentially uh, breaking up these large businesses. So it's, uh, it's uh, going to be a slippery slope here if they go down this path. But that's what Chris Hughes was all about. Founder, guy who started with Mark Zuckerberg in there dorm room he's come from the he exited early but he's come from you know the very origin of it and he's saying listen we have hindered democracy we have made the world a worse place to hack growth and create more users to what support our share price um so this data piece that he's complaining about as well as as many other people are again i don't think that gets solved if we break up facebook we need regulation we need some way to better understand the data they're collecting we need to put data back in the hands of the people who are generating it which is us Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's going to take i guess government regulation Okay, so it's been a a very deep sort of episode so far, Uh, a lot of thoughtful stuff, but let's add some levity here. Uh, Japanese startup company Mira Robotics, uh, they plan to maybe help you out in the household with their plans for these robot butlers. I want to say this, these are going to be remotely operated robot butlers. So essentially, like it's going to be humans behind the controls. You bring the butler into your home. Does this have any appeal for you at uh, your daily lives, guys? (laughs) <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I'll take that one. <laughs> yeah. I think it's just this horrible take on the gig economy. Rich people get to control poorer people. 
via a robot. So now they get the the person doesn't even get come into your home and clean your home. They're just at a terminal somewhere in the world that you're accessing remotely. So I get that the telepresence is going to make the robot respond to its master's needs more effectively, but I don't like the presence oh. or the um, precedent this is setting. I think it's creepy. I think it's not I'll, not something I'd want in my home. I'll just for for the sake of having a fun conversation, I will say the other side of the argument, which is there's a lot of people out there that can't fend for themselves. Uh, there's elderly people as well. There's young people. There's disabled people. There's a lot of people that could probably benefit from uh, help around the household. And uh, perhaps you know, over the long haul, uh, these technologies will prove to help humanity. That's you know my happy take on it. But yeah, and I do talk <laughs> all the time on robots and what it has to do with Downton Abbey. And the little spin is that we'll bring robots, I believe, into our home in little little smaller ways the robots that's going to clean your windows kind of like the Roomba does your floors and the robot that cleans your barbecue grill and then all these little micro moments we're going to pass off to robots and I think those are robots designed for specific things that don't need quite so much um, hand holding by humans but the caring for the elderly and and helping us run our homes is logically going to be handed off we're doing that a lot now with Amazon well, well, the absolute first one that we're the one that we're about to see and that we are already seeing is autonomous cars. Yeah, so those are your first robots right there. Yeah. Because I got in an I got in a Tesla just a couple of weeks ago, and uh, the Tesla rode us down Georgia Street with nobody driving it. So it already is it's it's here, and that's your first robot. Look out, humans! How was that right, Allie? I felt safer than a human being behind the wheel. To be totally frank, yeah. Yeah, I'm going on a road trip soon with some friends. Uh, one friend offered to drive. And I recall this is a gentleman who still likes using his phone quite a bit when he's on the road. And uh, we all declined his offer. So I'm, I'm with you, Ali. I think there's uh, many a driverless vehicle. Bring on the safer. autopilot. Exactly. Okay. Excellent, guys. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Thanks for having me. Thank you. That is Progressa CEO Ali Portat and Glue Technology Society CEO Linda Focus. That's it for the show today. We'll be back tomorrow. You can find our archives on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. Share with your friends. It's going to help us reach even more people. For now, I'm Tyler Orton. Thanks for listening. <laughs>